It's that time of year again when talk of people being naughty or nice enters into our vernacular and makes its way over our airwaves. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. We don't talk about it year-round, but this time of year, you definitely hear it. At the mall last week, I heard a mom telling her child that Santa was watching, and if he was thinking he was going to get toys for Christmas, he better stop his whining right now. We don't think like this as adults anymore. We recognize that Santa isn't really spying on us, and we know that he isn't really planning on grabbing a hunk of coal from the fireplace and throwing it in our stocking in lieu of a gift because of that one time we did that one thing. We also aren't purchasing presents based on some elaborate logarithm of nice versus naughty. We maybe don't believe in Santa at all anymore, nor in the whole presents are tethered to performance paradigm. But I do think way down deep inside, there's something we hold on to that says something like, if I do nice things, nice things should happen to me. Or if my good things outweigh my bad things, I am owed more good. This reminds me a little bit of my banking experiences in college. Let me set the scene a little bit first. Although I took personal economics in high school at the strong suggestion of my parents, I didn't necessarily apply all the skills I had accumulated. And just because we had a unit on personal banking, it didn't really make me a personal banker. In fact, I didn't really learn how to balance a checkbook until I was about 25 and lived across the street from our bank. Each month, I would walk across the street and wait until Nancy Hotop, yep, I still remember her name, and can vision her nameplate on the outside of our office cube. I would wait until Nancy was available. I'd bring her my statement, my sorry set of skills, and together we'd work until my account would balance to the penny. I did this for a number of months. I don't remember how many, right? It'd be math to count. But I do know at some point, I graduated from Nancy's personal banking tutorial and ended up balancing my checkbook on my own. I did it for years and years until I was sabotaged by online banking. And well, the rest is history. Suffice it to say, between my high school personal economics course and my personal tutoring sessions with Nancy in my mid-20s, I had to live a lot of life. And a light of life which required some banking. I remember one trip I took to the ATM. ATMs were new back then. And I had to take a trip to one. It wasn't my first trip, mind you. I'd gone plenty of times to deposit checks and to withdraw cash. It felt so unbelievable to me, really fresh each time I went. It felt like a scene straight out of the Jetsons cartoon. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, man. If you haven't met George Jetson, his boy Elroy, daughter Judy, and Jane, his wife, you have to. You have to meet them. You have to meet them and Rosie, their robot, who did all of their housework. I actually must meet Rosie, too. The Jetsons was like the cartoon antithesis of the Flintstones. While Fred and Wilma Flintstones were Stone Age and running on the ground to power their cars, George and Jane Jetson were Space Age and tooled around in a spaceship. To me, the ATM was part of this futuristic world. 
I didn't really understand how it worked. I didn't even know what the letters stood for, but I loved it. I loved that I had access to my bank 24-7. I felt so modern each time I'd take out my card and punch in my personal passcode. We didn't have drive through ATMs yet, but we could walk right into the foyer of our banks and carry out any transaction, any time of day. It was liberating. One day in college, a guy from my music theory class told me he was going to go to the grocery store later that afternoon. He asked me if I needed anything and then said if I did, maybe I would want to ride to the store. He had a car at school and I didn't, and I thought that was very thoughtful of him. I told him, oh, thanks so much, but I don't need any groceries. And as he was walking away, I remembered something. So I asked him what grocery store he's planning on going to. After he answered, I said, well, I don't need groceries, but I do need to go to the bank that's right by that store. I told him I had a check to deposit and I needed some cash, so I asked if he'd be able to stop by the bank on the way to the store. He was super accommodating and agreed to do so. Unfortunately, as the day went on, my plans changed, so I told him I wasn't free until like way later now, so I told him to just go ahead to the store without me. He said, no, that's no problem. I'll just go later. I'm sure your bank has an ATM, so you can just use that. I couldn't argue with that, and I knew my way around an ATM, so I thanked him for waiting for me and asked him to pick me up at my dorm after dinner, and he did. I had my check in hand, and we drove off. He pulled up to the bank, and because it was after hours, was able to pull right up and park right in the front. I ran into the foyer, I grabbed an envelope, I had my check, and I began my transaction. Now, one thing I hadn't done yet at an ATM was deposit and then withdraw money from one check at one time before. I had only either done one or the other. I'd deposit my check and walk away, or put my card and my secret number in and receive cash from my futuristic robot that was before me and walk away. I figured I should be able to figure it out, though. I grabbed an envelope, signed the back of my check, put it in, and then looked at the front. I wrote down the date and my name. It didn't have a place to write down total my deposit minus my withdrawal and then end up with total deposit. It just said deposit. And I hadn't noticed that before because I had something I hadn't ever done. But it did not at all look like the slips I used to get inside the bank lobby. I thought, well, I'll just make do and do my own thing on the envelope. I figured, you know, ATMs were a learning curve and maybe they'd figure that out later. I can't remember the exact amount I had, but I wrote something on the envelope that was something like this. Dear teller, I put a check for $52 in this envelope, but I'd like to get $20 back, please, and only deposit $32. And I signed my name, Kirsten. I stepped up to the machine. I put in my card and I punched in my number. I pressed deposit into checking because they didn't have a deposit slash withdrawal button. I put the envelope in when I was prompted to do so and I waited. It was just a moment until the receipt popped out, my card, and and then I waited longer. I waited longer for them to read the envelope and to give me my cash and the new receipt with the adjusted deposit total. That's the way I thought it was going to happen. I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and you might be wondering who I was waiting for or why. Well, I was waiting for the teller, (laughs) the teller who sat behind the machine and operated it 24-7. I mean, I knew they didn't do it nonstop. I figured they had shifts, but this guy, this night person someplace, I figured must be sleeping on the job because I was not getting my $20 back. I looked up at the camera in the corner of the, of the foyer. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even believe I'm sharing this right now. Yep, I looked up at the camera 
And I said, excuse me, I think you maybe didn't read my envelope. I wrote a note on that. Hello? Hello? I looked in the other corners for other cameras and I didn't see any. I waited until I felt like I couldn't ask my ride to wait anymore and I just left. I left without my $20, but with a lot of questions and some concerns. I got to the car and my ride asked me what I was doing in there. I told him I was asking the teller to get me my cash back and waiting, but he never did it. My ride laughed and laughed. He's like, ah, good one. I quietly pondered his words in my heart. This is often how I find out if I've done something that's just a little bit off. Hmm, I thought he was, thought I was joking. I wonder why. I didn't ask. Not because I was embarrassed, mostly because I wasn't even sure what to say. The next day, I asked my roommate for a ride and I went back to the bank. This time, I went during business hours and went inside. I had a problem and I needed to explain to somebody what had happened. I needed to make sure that the night manager or who, whoever hadn't subtracted the $20 from my account that I never got. I waited in line while my roommate waited in her car. I finally took my place at the counter and I spoke to the teller. I explained my situation. She started to laugh. So did the other tellers. They peered up over their dividers and looked at me. <laughs> the teller told me she knew what happened because they had seen my envelope now and they had seen me on the camera and the security footage from the night before. I'd like to say I was mortified and walked away, but honestly, I was still in need of further explanation. When she finally stopped laughing, or at least was quiet enough for me to talk over, I asked, oh, so is my $20 still in my account or not? She told me, well, the ATM isn't operated by a person. ATM stands for automated teller machine. So it can only do what you communicate through the buttons you push. So the cameras, I asked, and then answered my own question, are just security cameras. They're not like ways to communicate with tellers, like teller call buttons in the drive-thru then. Yep, she said. And then she further explained, the next time you want to put in a check and get cash out, you need to do it in two separate transactions, and then it'll work just fine. Which also wasn't entirely true, as I found out a few months later. Same bank, same machine. I put in, let's say, a $75 check for the sake of the story, as like before, I can't remember the exact amount that was on the check. So let's say I put in a $75 check. I put it in a deposit envelope. I didn't write any personal notes. I didn't look at any security cameras. Got my first receipt out, then put my card again for my withdrawal. No problem, except no money came out. My card was declined. What? They must have done the math wrong. I looked at my first receipt and saw that while I put in $75, they're telling me my bank account only had $17 in it. Impossible. This is simple math. Ugh. I suppose what else can you expect with a machine? I'm sure this isn't the first time they've had a glitch. Oh, the next day, I made my way back again into the foyer, got a mint, grat in line, arrived at a teller and explained my dilemma. I put in $75 into my account yesterday and I wanted to take out $20, right? The machine said I only have $17 in my account and didn't give it to me. How is this possible? There is no way this word problem works out. She said, well, it does if your account was overdrawn by $58. Oh man, that was a word I remembered from my personal economics course in high school, overdrawn. When a bank account has more money taken out of it than was put into it. Ah, oh, when did I do that? How have I not been keeping better track? The teller asked to see my checkbook. I showed it to her. 
She asked where the ledger part was. You know, the part where you write down your deposits and withdrawals. I told her, I just kind of ballpark on that. And usually I've been pretty spot on and until obviously today. I told her, don't worry though, I've learned my lesson. I told her about my personal economics course in high school. I told her about the sweater I bought the other day, but was now planning on returning because I hadn't even worn it yet and the tags were still on it. And that should make things a little bit better. And I told her way more than she wanted to hear. Then I thanked her for reminding me about what overdrawn meant and I left. And as I think about it now, these interactions with bank tellers and banks remind me of some common misconceptions we have when we're interacting with God. First, we might wonder, is God even there? And if he is, does he hear me? The psalmist says he does. In Psalm 17, 6, we read, I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. You turn your ear to me and you hear my prayer. God always hears us. God is not just some big security camera in the sky watching to see if you're naughty or nice, watching to see if you're robbing the ATM or just recording some girl's polite rant and requests for money. God hears us. So if God hears us, we might ask, why isn't he giving me what I'm asking for? Well, here's the deal. Getting what we ask for in prayer isn't the proof that God has heard us. God's word is proof that he hears us. I want to repeat that. Getting what we ask for in prayer isn't the proof that God has heard us. God's word is proof that he hears us. God's word tells us he hears us. God's word also tells us that we can come before him confidently. We don't need to panic. We don't need to worry if we're doing it right. As we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he tells us that we have access to God the Father. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we are in need, we can come before God with confidence, knowing that He will give us the mercy we need. He will give us the grace that we need. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Him, in Christ, and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence to talk to God Almighty. What a gift. What a best gift. What a greatest gift. And finally, we might be thinking, if we make a substantial deposit into our account, that we can expect a return. But we don't always get what we expect. God's word tells us we can ask him for good gifts. Matthew 7, 11 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God gives us good gifts. James tells us that too. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Here's the deal, though. We don't always ask God for what's best for us. We don't always ask God for what's best for us. And so when we ask, when we tell him the desires of our heart, we yield those desires to his perfect plan. It's a great conversation. We tell him what we want. We tell him our desires. We pour out our hearts to him. And though we may not get what we're asking for, we can always expect God to deliver what is best. Maybe you are struggling thinking God doesn't hear you. Maybe you are thinking he is distantly watching you on a security camera, disinterested or judging or laughing. Or maybe you think he's bad at math. You feel like you've been putting so much good into your account and you feel like certainly it can't be too much to ask for a little of that back, huh? Can I suggest in this season of giving and receiving 
in this season where we think of naughty and nice, and in the season where we also take time to contemplate why we're celebrating, I want to suggest that we stop and pray, that we talk with a God who hears us, that we talk with a God who draws near to those who draw near to Him. I want to suggest that we talk with a God who has already deposited all we need for life into our account and then asks us to draw out what we need from Him. And as we do, I am certain we will be blessed.